today we'll try to address one of the most important questions that faces each one of us because we hear a lot of teaching on hyper grace, super grace, and they say that all that you need is only grace. You don't have to worry about the law or even you don't have to feel bad about not keeping up the law. So these are the teachings that are, that are going around and we as Christians, we need to think and process and try to understand, is it biblical or it is outside of the scripture? Now we have seen that Paul is explaining in the first three chapters of Romans that Jesus Christ is the answer to man's needs. He alone is the answer and nobody else. Because man's first and foremost need is salvation from sin. That is his first and foremost need. Because salvation is the single most blessing, the greatest blessing that we can receive in this world. In fact, it is only after receiving the salvation that everything you do have eternal significance. Without salvation, all that you have in this world is of no value or it has no value in eternity without salvation. But once you have the eternal gift of salvation and then all that you do in this world have eternal significance and relevance and meaning. But interestingly, in scripture, Salvation does not focus on man. Even though salvation is the most important need of man, the scripture does not focus on man, but on God. Scripture is all about God. The Bible makes it very clear that the first and foremost purpose of salvation is to worship God. It's only saved persons can worship God. And the first and foremost purpose, we can sing songs, we can pray, we can read the Bible, but without real salvation, we cannot worship God. It is only in salvation you come into the presence of God and you learn to worship God. So that is the first and foremost purpose of salvation. Because Paul says, all things have been created by him and for him. If you and I think that God has created us, we have been created by God and for God. And the psalmist says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Not to us, Lord, not to us. But to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. A heart that has genuinely understood the meaning of salvation will continually cry out to God saying, Not to me, O Lord, but to you and you alone. Shall we all rise to our scripture reading taken from the letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. 
Romans chapter 3 verses 27 to 31. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law. No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is God's word. Kindly be seated. This passage begins with the question, where then is boasting? That's how this passage begins. Where then is boasting? And it says it is excluded. Now why no boasting? Why no boasting? You know, Paul has given a wonderful explanation of the gospel. We have seen that. Last Sunday we saw that wonderful explanation. What's meant by the righteousness of God. We all have received the righteousness of God and he has explained it so well. Because in verses 23 and 24 he says, We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God has given us his righteousness freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So the next question that comes to our mind is, so what now? So what now? And Paul says, boasting is excluded. Now, we need to understand, this word boasting comes from the battlefield. You know, if you, are, if you have come from the forces, you realize they have, every regiment has a war cry. What is this war cry? Now the soldiers are taught to tell to themselves and the kind of things, we'll come to that. They are taught a phrase that they tell to themselves and as and, as and when they advance in the battlefield towards the enemy to shout that battle cry. Now, what do they do in the battle cry? Basically, they are telling to the enemy or they're telling to themselves, we are bigger and stronger than you. And then they say that the least of us is the match for a hundred and the greatest for a thousand. This battle cry is not from Indian army, it is from the Bible. If you read, you know, the, the, the people who were with David before he came to Hebron, as a king, this is the way they will, you know, they will motivate themselves. This motley crowd of people who were with David, 
they will say that the least of us is a match for 100 and the greatest for 1,000. And they say, we have better weapons than you. We will just, we are going to beat you. We will just lick you up. This is the kind, this is the kind of battle cry you get to hear. Now what happens in the battle cry? Basically, they are boasting about themselves. They may not have any weapons. Or they may have only a stick in their hand. But they will shout as though they have a tank with them. That's what happens in a battle cry. They are just boasting. You know, this is what Goliath did. If you, if you go and read 1 Samuel chapter 17, 8 to 11, basically this is what Goliath did when he was coming in front of David. And David also did the same thing. He also had a battle cry. Now, why do we boast? Why do we boast? Because what we boast in is, is what gives us confidence to go out and face the day. In whatever thing we boast in, that is the thing that gives us confidence. Have you not heard people say, do you know who I am? Have you not heard that? Have you not heard that? Do you know my uncle is the district collector? For all that, his uncle must not even knowing him. They may not be having any touch. But he will say, do you know who is, my, who is the district collector? He's my uncle. In other words, people constantly say, don't think I am just a nobody, but I am a somebody. You better take note of it. So what we boast in is what fundamentally defines us. It is where we draw our identity and self-worth from. Whatever thing that we boast in, that is what fundamentally defines us. That it becomes our identity and self-worth. Now, the Jewish people were, they were proud about their privileged status. And Paul, you know, Paul knows them. They said, we are the chosen people of God. If God has favorites, we are the only people who are God's favorites. That's how the Jewish people claimed. They said, do you know, we possess the law. God gave the law to us. You know, we are special. We are the apple of, the eye of his eye. Nobody else, nobody else. We are so privileged. We have that personal relationship with God. Now, this is how the Jewish people, they boasted. Not only that, they also boasted in their personal righteousness. You know, we are the holy people. Religious people will always boast in their religiosity. You know, for how many hours I pray? You know, for how many days I fast in a week? This is exactly what religiosity does to a person. And that's what the Jewish people said. Do you know, before eating, we wash our hands? You know how we wash our hands. We know all those incidents that has happened in the New Testament. So boastfulness, now don't think it's only the problem of the Jewish people. 
don't think that boastfulness was limited only to Jewish people because Paul had already mentioned in Romans chapter 1 verse 30 he's talking about the condition of the gentiles and in Romans chapter 1 Paul said you know they are gossips slanderers god haters insolent arrogant and boastful they invent ways of doing evil they disobey their parents so paul has already said that gentiles they boast if gentiles boast that means we also boast that's what paul is telling in other words paul what paul is saying is all human beings are habitual boasters all if you and i think we are human beings we are habitually we are boasters boasting is the language of our fallen self centeredness we all boast now in the gospel boasting is excluded why why the why paul says no more boasting now if you want to understand this verse why does paul says boasting is not allowed so we have to go back to paul's life and try to see why does he say boasting is not allowed because if you if you see paul's own life before he became a christian or before he became a believer in jesus christ paul says in philippians chapter 3 5 to 6 he is talking about in what all things he had confidence in in what all things he had confidence in he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews in regard to the law a pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness he is faultless don't you think there's an impressive cv if he go with this cv and stands before god god this is my cv you better keep a special place for me don't we boast don't we boast about our connections don't we boast about our connections don't we boast about our family don't we boast about our caste our designation do you know who i am our educational attainments our religious credentials our purity we boast it's our nature to boast then paul says this was paul's life before he became a christian because paul is the one who is teaching us about the gospel the meaning of gospel and paul says this is how i used to live before i became a christian so now what you know we all say we have been saved we have been saved is there a transformation in our lives can we say this is how i used to live before i was saved now i am saved and now i live like this now how paul lives he says in philippians chapter 7 to 9 
but whatever were gains to me i now consider loss for the sake of christ what is more i consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things i consider them garbage that i may gain christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith he says i have lost i have no no longer i have confidence in my birth in my family in my religious credentials i no longer i have faith in these things and he says i don't need these things sitting in the morning as we were worshiping god you know my vision is not that we have a big church here my vision is we have more people going out and serving god doesn't matter if you have less people here we have enough number of people to go out and reach out to all the states and the countries at least in the southeast asia we can reach out so my vision is not that we fill this place with thousands of people my vision is to make you understand the glory of god that when god calls you you will throw all your credentials and say that's nothing but garbage the call from god is superior to any other call you can think of till we come to that place we have never understood the gospel we are boasting in something else we are boasting in my job in my designation why people don't come saying that i'm ready to go and serve god how many of us can say today i'm ready to leave everything and go behind jesus wherever he sends me because we have not understood the gospel the greatness of gospel the richness of gospel something we are boasting in something that is withholding us what will happen to me what will happen to my family what will happen to my spouse what will happen to my children what will happen to my future because we boast in those things so paul says i consider them garbage i don't need these things all i want is christ that i may gain christ that's all he says paul is saying that believing boasting and believing are opposites we can't do both boasting and believing are opposites we can't do both you can't keep boasting i can't keep boasting in my job in my money in my designation and then say i believe in god it is paul says we can't do both because the principle of faith excludes boasting the very principle of faith excludes boasting whether we like to accept it or not that's what the scripture says paul says you cannot do both because when we stand before god god has not justified us because of our credentials so there is nothing 
that we can boast about. If we have truly received the righteousness of God, then we will stop boasting. If we have truly received the righteousness of God, then we will stop boasting. Paul is saying that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So he says God is the God who has given us his righteousness whether they be Jews or Gentiles. All that we need to do is come before God with open hands and receive his righteousness. That's what he has you know, he's telling us. Whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we only exclude boasting when we realize that our best achievements have done nothing to justify us. If, you, if we truly understand salvation and if we truly say that I boast and boast only in Christ, we will not be like this man who was drowning in the sea holding to a, hand, a handful of money and saying, okay, I have got money. Man is drowning. He doesn't even realize his condition. But his confidence is in money. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verses 14 and 15, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Are we becoming new creation? Or just we are claiming? As Christians we understand it is not our performance or not our achievements, not our religiosity that brings us into the presence of God. But it's because of what Christ did on the cross. Cross. The more we look at the cross, we understand the gravity of sin. The more we look at the cross, we understand the gravity of sin. Superficially, we may say, Jesus, oh, so sad, they are crucifying you. They are you know, piercing your hands with nail. That's nothing but, that is the consequences of sin. The moment we understand that, we understand there's nothing in me that I can boast about. As a sinful man, I have nothing to boast about. All I can boast about is what Jesus did for me on the cross. If there is one great thing I can do in this world is to go out and proclaim what Jesus has done for me. And what Jesus has done for you. So there's no longer boasting. And it gives us great confidence once we understand how much God loves us. The moment you realize God loves you so much, you can tell to the world, world, I need 
nothing from you world i need nothing from you and you can take nothing from me i have christ have we come to the place to say that i need christ and only christ are we still we are living so that we can make more money we can go up these are this may not be sinful things but our priorities have to be right so why no boasting it's fine now what happens when we boast what happens after all i'm a harmless person i'm only boasting about how hard i worked and i studied i've got my you know good marks i'm only boasting in that so what happens when we boast you know if you we need to take the scripture analyze our own condition and also see what's happening in the society then we will understand the value of the word of god the revelation that has come through the word of god because when we see the problems in the societies all educated people we know what's happening in the country how do you apply the scripture and how you say scripture is still relevant today and if you see because of boasting what has happened i'm only going to list just three things i list the first is fragmented society what happens when you boast when you take pride when anyone takes pride in caste system social status or achievement what happens you know normally what happens the moment you say i'm of a higher caste you are prejudiced against another person so first thing that sets in is prejudice then arrogance do you know i am so and so caste arrogance hostility don't allow that man even to come and take water you should not even come near this village boasting this is what happens fragmented society why our society is fragmented boasting people boast because we boast we must see ourselves better than others the moment we boast we will always try to see ourselves as better than others that is why our society is so fragmented gospel alone can heal that fragments gospel alone can bring the broken pieces together no policy policy can address to some extent but it cannot solve then what happens fragmented society then we have the denial what kind of denial you know the moment i take pride in my caste because my identity comes from my caste if my caste people if they commit anything wrong i will turn a blind eye to it because my people can never commit a mistake because my identity comes from caste you know when you when your identity comes from a church the people of that church can never commit a mistake i'm not only talking about caste culture a denomination oh my denomination oh they will never do this because your identity is in the denomination not in jesus christ the moment you do that you will deny you will you will close your eyes to the flaws that is in your whether in your traditions whether it is in your family your family is perfect 
So you start denying. Now, if your confidence is in your moral attainment, religiosity, you know how pious we are. The moment you say that, you know, you are blind to your sins and selfishness. The moment somebody criticizes you, you will try to do maybe prayer, maybe fast. You have to do more and more and more. Because somebody has dented your religiosity because that's where you have pride. Our moral entertainments, you know I'm such a good person. Somebody goes and whispers in your family, this person is like this and this, that's it. There'll be war between you and that person. That's moral purity. We cannot depend on our moral purity. If our confidence comes from someone's love, I hope this you will understand very easily. Someone's love, maybe your love for your children, maybe your love for your parents, maybe your love for your spouse, then you will never point out any mistake in that relationship. Parents who are blind in their love towards their children, their children can never commit a mistake. Never. The entire world can commit a mistake, but not their children. Because they are blind. This is what happens. When you, parents, there are parents who love their children. And you tell them, my son, my daughter, oh, they are next to God. They always sit on the right and left of God. You can never point out a mistake. All this denial comes because of boasting. This is what happens. You know, agape love, we have not understood agape love. Agape love is a very tough love. God allowed you and me to wander away. To wander away. It is love reached out to us. It is love reached out. He knew. We, we, we just, if you truly love your children, you should allow them to become adults. Make decisions on their own. This society is not yet ready. But if you truly love children, you need to release them from your hold. God does not control us. Controlling spirit is not from God. It's from human beings. We want to control. We want to exercise power. You know, even we may be 500 miles away from them. Mobile is there. We need to constantly, we need to exercise control. That's not agape love. That's selfish love. Agape love is trusting in God. Many of the youngsters are laughing. It seems that you are getting so many phone calls. Pray for your parents that they may release you. You know, this is what happens when we boast. The third thing is anxiety. You know, because our security in something, okay, my security is in my child, something happens to my child, I'm threatened. I'm threatened. So my very fundamental security is threatened because I am boasting on something. If my job, I'm laid off, my goodness, I'm gone. My job is gone. That's it, my life is gone. Because 
my my security itself was on the job not we sing on sunday jagova jaira but after that it is all the multinational company names no jagova jaira our security is in somewhere else now paul is telling if you are a gospel centered person if you understand the gospel what happens you will not boast because if you boast these are the things that will happen but the moment you understand the gospel why you don't boast the reason the first reason is our our mind is deeply satisfied with the doctrine of justification we have seen that in depth last sunday what's meant by the righteousness of god we have received it so we are satisfied we are satisfied in what jesus christ did for me and you we are so deeply satisfied because god accepts me he died for me while i was at a sinner so the more you think on this one factor that gives you satisfaction this doctrine of justification is not a dry doctrine the more you sit and ponder the reason we are not able to do is the world keeps us busy and we have we have limited time so we don't spend time at the foot of the cross it is at the foot of the cross you have that satisfaction you look at god hanging on the cross and you say how great is his love how great is his love that gives you satisfaction if the doctrine of justification does not excite you does not give you confidence it's just because you are not spending time meditating thinking pondering what god has done for you and me it is all about us jesus came died for me my ugly sins and when i see him hanging on the cross i can see my sin it is my sin which sent him to the cross the ugliness the consequences of sin you can see very clearly only at the cross it's not only that it gives us a new freedom from denial you know you you are free you gospel teaches you how to handle criticism people will be constantly criticizing us don't think you are living in heaven you are living in this fallen world people will be constantly sometimes it could be your own family members sometimes it could be your children sometimes it could be your parents sometimes it could be your extended family members they will be constantly criticizing you we don't get to hear always good news there'll be bad news there are days when we will hear bad news there are days when we have to go to your doctor and doctor doesn't have a good news but bad news but the moment you understand the gospel you will be able to handle these things in a better way because if christ came and died for me while i was yet a sinner how much more he loves me how much more he loves me you know when you understand the love of god 
you will not deny you know when you believe in religiosity what happens is the moment you are criticized you now you have to prove yourself that you are a better person and you have to prove the other person wrong the moment you understand the cross you know when somebody criticizes you and somebody points out at you showing a fault with you you go back to god and say god how did you receive me how great is this love because you we understand our true condition only at the foot of the cross so when somebody criticizes us we will not run away from god if you are believing in religiosity if somebody criticizes you you will try to do the things more and more and more to prove the other person you are wrong now today when somebody criticizes you you will go to god god despite all the shortcomings and weaknesses you have accepted me unconditional love it draws you closer to god you are not scared about what people are going to talk about you because god had already spoken about you and given you his righteousness if deep down we really think our worthiness and acceptability hang on our performance then when our sin is revealed it drives us away from god instead of it making us feel closer to him salvation genuine salvation should help you get closer to god it's not that we have become perfect we are on the path of becoming more and more perfect that's where sanctification happens so salvation is a place where you draw closer to god somebody points out a finger and says you are useless you go to god god how great is your love you have accepted a useless person like me you don't have to defend yourself you don't have to defend because your identity does not come from what people talk about you your identity is in christ that's what's meant by identity in christ now the third thing is it gives us a new freedom from anxiety there's so much of research that's going on about brain brain chemistry if you are interested you can go and read so much of research that's going on what happens when we think to your thought process how thought process takes place how we receive the thoughts how it affects us you know thalamus hypothalamus and all those things you can see if you have studied you will know that how brain reacts to our thoughts but broadly all our thoughts have been classified we generally we are religious we will try to classify it as clean unclean but in in brain chemistry they have classified their all our thoughts under two headings love fear love fear all our thoughts comes under one of this category either love or fear that's why paul writing to timothy will say i have not given you a spirit of timidity but of love so paul is the one who writes more about thought process finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about 
those things. So gospel helps us to do those things. And when we know that this God came and died for us, why somebody will die for me? Because he cares for me. He is for me. Because he is for me, he comes and dies for me. That's what Romans 8.32 says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So now we are not anxious because God has given himself. Even if I go through these situations, I don't have to be anxious because God knows that. He will see me through this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he knows that. He is for me. When Father is for us, when God is for us, Bible is full of God, God, God. We are trying to get things what I can get. But it's all about God. You are saved, you worship him. You worship him and you become like him. Whatever thing you worship, you become more like that. So you become, you worship. And as we worship this God more and more, even if death comes, even when we are faced with the crisis of death, that's the ultimate in this world, death. You know, then we'll say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's no anxiety. There's no anxiety because we will say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So we have seen what happens when we boast. Now we are answering the very fundamental question. Is the law of God still relevant? Yes, it is still relevant. Is the law of God still relevant? Yes, it is still relevant. Who is telling this? Paul. Paul is the one who tells us we are saved by grace. And he is the one who says it is still relevant. Paul has made his point that law cannot save us. The law cannot save us. The law does not give us any ground for our self-confidence or worth. We cannot derive any confidence or self-worth from the law. Paul says that. Now, Paul says, the righteousness of God has been revealed to us apart from law. Not from law, apart from law. Now, when we pose this question, Paul, if you say, my righteousness has come, not by keeping up the law, but apart from law, do you? Do we nullify the law? Do we say this law is no longer relevant? Paul, you know, we might think, if you read the scripture, we might think Paul will say, yes, yes, it's useless. It's not required. What we require is the righteousness of God. So dump this law. That's the kind of a answer we will expect. But Paul says, not at all. Not at all. And Paul says, it is not, it is null and void. Paul says, rather we uphold the law. Paul says, rather we uphold the law. I want you to listen to this passage carefully because there's so much of teaching. You know, your wrong teaching can be overcome only by the right teaching. 
So you need to process and see whether the hypergrace teachers are right or the scripture is right. Paul says, we uphold the law. He says that a gospel believer who is saved apart from law understands and loves the law more than before. When you have been saved by grace, you love this law much more. Much more. Why does he say that? You can never make the law null and void. Why you cannot make it null and void? What does the law say? Do not commit adultery. Will you make it null and void? Do not steal. Will you make it null and void? You will say you steal in others' house but not in my house. Do not covet. You know, you cannot make law null and void. You cannot live in this world without a law. So law has not been made null and void. Because the law of God is still there and must still be kept. It must be obeyed for anyone to stand in God's presence. The gospel never says the law does not matter. I think the gospel, the, all those who are preaching the hyper this grace, they don't read the scripture. The, Paul never says the law does not matter. He says it must be kept. If you look at the sacrifice of Jesus, you know, after all, our righteousness of God comes through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Now, what happened on the cross? Now, where on the cross, Jesus Christ did not impute you and me, not only his righteousness, but also his law keeping. Listen to this carefully. On the cross, Jesus Christ has not transferred or imputed or given to you only his righteousness, but he has also given his law keeping. What happens when we put our faith in Christ, our sinful sins are given to him. He has died for it. We have no problem in accepting that. It is our sins that have been transferred to Jesus. And what happens on the cross? Christ gives us his perfect obedience to God's law. Once you are saved, it becomes easier for you to understand, appreciate and follow God's law. So if the hypergrace teachers, they teach, they are teaching only one part. They are not teaching the other part. The other part is, Christ gives us his perfect obedience to God's law. He has taught us how to obey this law. It is Jesus who went on interpreting the Ten Commandments. When you read on the Sermon on the Mount, it is Jesus who said, he didn't say, do not commit, commit adultery has become irrelevant. He said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery. What a great explanation that is. He never said, you don't have to keep up the law. He said, if you look at the woman, once you are a gospel-centered person, you don't have to wait whether you are going to commit adultery or not. Once you are a gospel-centered person, you are going to say, I'm not going to look at a woman lustfully. You have already fulfilled the law. You obeyed the law. 
you don't have to wait for you to commit murder rather you will not even get angry that is what gospel has done to us let's understand this gospel correctly otherwise we will be just religious people just saying we will be just christians the power is in the gospel and for that power to be exhibited in and through our lives we need to understand this gospel rightly so god has transferred his perfect obedience to us in second corinthians 5:21 paul says god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god god is a we have seen is a judge okay that we have established last sunday that god has to be a right judge righteous judge now if the law is not there on what basis is going to judge on what basis a righteous judge will judge is there a law there is a law and god judges us and that law has been perfectly kept by jesus and that is the righteousness that has been imputed to us transferred to us so law is relevant and it will remain relevant till the heaven and earth will pass away but the word of god will never pass away it is relevant jesus said in matthew chapter 5 17 to 19 do not think that i have come to abolish the law go and tell the hyper grace teachers you know this is what jesus said do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly i tell you until heaven and earth disappear not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of god i hope the message is clear for all of us how we receive the righteousness of god and how, why we should not boast and what is the place of law in the life of a believer the law has not been abolished it is still relevant for all of us so i want to make two quick application so what apart from christ might you be tempted to boast in as the basis reason for your confidence or self worth today how do you answer this question you know the one way of answering this question is today if god calls you what is that one thing that's going to hold you back if today god calls you what is that one thing that holds you back that will give the answer is it your ministry if god calls me and says you're not you give up this ministry and if i struggle with god that means the ministry gives me that self worth and identity is it ministry is it family background educational qualifications 
your job, your finance, your spouse, children. We all are fishing somewhere. We all are fishing somewhere. And today if God calls us, are we ready to leave our boat and fishing nets and say, I'll follow you? That shows us to what extent we have received the righteousness of God. To what extent we understand and appreciate the righteousness of God. My burden is, the call of God is the highest call in this world. There's nothing greater than that. If God calls us into his ministry, there is nothing greater or superior than that. Being a doorkeeper in the temple of the Lord is greater than being the CEO of the greatest company or being the president of a country. Are we ready? Why are we struggling? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why are we struggling? Why, we don't, why are we not ready? I'm not saying today if you say I respond, God is going to call you today. But why are we struggling? Because something else comes in between God and us. We have not understood. When Jesus came to save us, he left everything. He emptied himself so that you and I could be saved. If salvation, if we understand the preciousness of the salvation, the Bible teaches us, Jesus told the parable that he just, the, he found the pearl, he just covered it, went, sold everything, came back and bought that plot. That is the worth of salvation. Salvation is not cheap. Have we come to the place of really understanding that, Lord, I want you and you alone. I count everything else as garbage. My money, my designation, everything. Because God can take control of everything. He's God over the universe. He's the God maker of heaven and earth. Where are we? Are we here only, we want this God only to bless us? Or are we here to accomplish the divine purpose? We are in the battleground and the moment we run away from the battleground, we miss out God's divine plan for our lives. I'm not saying all of you have to become missionaries. I'm not saying. I'm only posing these questions so that you can introspect your lives. The moment you run away from the battlefield, you may have money, you may have children, you may have grandchildren, you may have great-great-grandchildren, but you have missed out God's divine plan for your life. The easiest course for all of us is to run away from the battlefield. Who loves battlefield? I don't love. I don't, I don't like it. You think the devil is sitting quiet? He's going to attack me left and right. But I understand the God's purpose for my life. Do you understand God's purpose for your life? God's purpose for your life is not just to marry, have some children, have some job, have some house. Those are all maybe good things, but they are secondary. That's not the primary purpose. Have you understood the purpose of life? God's purpose for your life. You are not a being whose life will end in this world. You are an eternal being. You will live forever and ever and ever. 
you need to understand that is the divine purpose are you here to fulfill god's purpose or are you here to fulfill world's purpose for you the world's purpose is very clear if you are coming from a family and if you look at your parents they'll tell you you are a girl now you have studied okay 12th standard okay you go to college okay now it's time for you to marry settle down have children oh your purpose has been fulfilled but that's not god's purpose for your life are you ready to shake this world are you ready not the power is in you not you have the ability i know the sermon is hard but god expects strong people in the kingdom of god to break the forces of evil if you and i sit quiet darkness only will spread you cannot protect your children in an isolated cube they have to live in this world how do you make that world better for your generation you know yesterday pastor prem was telling that when we exploit water we are not only drinking our water we are also drinking the water of our children and grandchildren we are drinking their water share also that is the way that that's the extent to which we have become greedy we are exploiting the resources of the world not knowing we are drinking we are you know drinking children's water how bad we are so if you and i if we don't spread light don't expect a light will come from heaven and light will come to this world have we understood this righteousness of god now how will you ensure that you boast only in christ how will you ensure that you'll boast only in christ if you have decided to boast in christ not you have heard the sermon but i want my life in my life i want to boast in christ the first thing you need to work is in your thought process your mind your mind has to be renewed your mind has to be renewed because in joshua 1:8 says it says keep this book of the law it is interesting there is a word called always keep this book of the law always on your lips so what do you do keep it on your lips and what so that you can meditate on it day and night and then it says so that you may be careful to do everything written in it not few things everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful that's what the psalmist said his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night that's what jesus said for man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god if you want to boast in god you need to take the scripture memorize it internalize it dwell on it and follow it then only you will boast in christ you can only boast in christ when your vessel is full otherwise only we'll be making noise pentecostals are known for making noise empty noise is no good you know your vessel needs to be filled with the word of god we need to be spirit filled people to boast in christ let's not take that sacrifice that jesus made on the cross lightly it is not a light sacrifice if we truly understand that sacrifice let's pray let god help me to understand the significance of the cross it is a struggle 
Have I understood? No, I have not understood it completely. No. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, I have not understood it. That has got power to transform our lives. Not only our thoughts, our attitudes. Attitude is important. Even if you study your brain chemistry, they will say that your attitude matters. The thought that comes into your mind, immediately it develops. Your yeah, attitude, what kind of attitude? And your emotions are attached to those thoughts. That's why you become anxious, depressed, discouraged. Because your thoughts are not life-giving thoughts. So to give that life-giving thoughts, you need to take the scripture and keep meditating on it. They say you should do at least four to five times a day. Do it over a period of 21 days. You form a pattern. That's why it says meditate on it day and night. Probably that's why in Islam they say five times prayer. Good things we can learn from anywhere. Meditate on the word of God. We do the personal devotion and sometimes I myself I realize how, how little I have meditated on the passage I have read. I have read it. Yeah, it spoke. But after that, the rest of the day, I became busy with something. I realize, I realize, I missed it out. The Bible says you need to meditate on it day and night. You need to make a pattern. I will bring to memory the word I have read Morning, noontime, sometime, you need to make it a pattern. It's, it's a struggle. You all are working, it's a struggle. But we, it's, it's not impossible. What, are, what about our actions? If we do things like God, that brings glory to God. Shall you look to the Lord in prayer? What are the things that gives you confidence? Examine yourself. Let us ask. We may not like it to tell others, but when we stand in the presence of God, let us be honest. God, I'm anxious about these things. I'm anxious about my job. I'm anxious about my spouse. I'm anxious about my children. I'm anxious about myself. Lord, let my confidence be rooted in you and you alone. You have loved me unconditionally. You delight over me, O oh Lord. You rejoice over me. Help me to see that. When people around me, keep finding faults with me. You are a God who rejoices over me. Help me to rejoice in your presence. Not because I'll get few things from you, oh God, I want you. Because I want you, I give myself to you, oh Lord. All my achievements, all that I held so precious, I consider it as rubbish. I consider it as garbage. Salvation is so precious to me, O oh Lord. 
while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. Help me to meditate on you day and night. Renew my mind today, O oh Lord. Let that be our prayer. Renew my mind. Let my attitude be pleasing in your sight. Whether I eat, drink, move, let me do it for your glory. Our Father, help us to understand the word more clearly. Let it speak into our hearts, O oh Lord, as we struggle. I pray the Spirit of God will move in our lives. Teach us to love you passionately as you have loved us unconditionally. We will learn to love you passionately. We bless your name. Thank you for the word, O oh Lord, that has come to us. Let it produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold harvest for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.